2: Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues and interviews.
3: By students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com.
0: Welcome back to the Shortcoat Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Ettler. I'm here today with MD PhD students LJ Agostinelli hey. and Aline Sanduk. Hello. And I've got some new victims. Say hello to M3, Armin Avdich That's me. And Megan Kosovsky. Hi. Our admissions counselor. Welcome, guys.
4: Thank you. Thank you. I, mm. Oh, man,
0: I just, I love new blood, you know? <laughs> it's So great. Hey, today, before we start, I want to say today's show has a sponsor for charity, Common Bond. I'll talk to you more about them later in the show. Just keep them in your thoughts for now. Uh, meanwhile, Armin... That's me. Yeah, you're an M3. So, yep. What took you so long to join us on the Shortcode Podcast? Oh man, what do you what do you have to say for yourself, young man? <laughs> I guess
2: you know, like there's some people who are like super witty, can just come off with things right off the cuff, and there's other people who will go home and think of like super clever ideas right at you know like as they're falling asleep. Can't come up with it instantly, but they get there eventually. Yeah, I don't think I'm
0: either of those. So probably that You'd, you. <laughs> You don't think you're either of those, okay? I don't know. All right, That's fair enough. I mean, you know, some people they're uh, they're podcasting late bloomers. It's fine. I hope so. Thank you for <laughs> thank you for finally coming to give it a shot. Um, what, what did you? Uh, what do you? So you're an M3. You got a specialty in mind that you're uh, tossing around? I do. I'm really interested in ophthalmology. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Gunner, huh?
2: Um,
3: <laughs>
2: I just like eyeballs.
3: Okay.
0: <laughs> That's good because I Don't hear Don't Get the, out
1: of it. We hate you already
0: because I hear that. Uh, <laughs> I hear that the eyeballs have a lot to do with that specialty,
2: yes. Um, it's oddly connected, yeah.
1: It's in the name, is it? Off though. yeah. Isn't that a yeah, Greek root for
0: something like that? Eyeball? Eyeballs. I haven't taken Greek yet, but <laughs> what'd you do before
2: medical school? Uh, I did a little bit of grad school. Um, computational biochemistry is kind of like the field that I was in. Mm. Um, Just looked at proteins and how they fold, basically try to come up with like computer models and code physics. Um, And then I realized that I just kind of need a bit more of a human element despite like my undiagnosed avoidant personality disorder. Maybe (laughs) I still really enjoy communicating with people and, you know, having that aspect. I do want to end up teaching. And I feel like this
0: just kind of puts everything together. I have, uh, An interest in paper airplanes and how they fold. So, oh, that's
1: (laughs) not quite the same.
0: Well, you know, I think it's pretty close. Paper planes don't
1: exist uh, biologically, so it's not medically relevant, but still very interesting.
0: All right. Megan, what do you do as an admissions counselor?
4: Everything. No. <laughs> we do a lot over there. So we're working mainly with prospective students and incoming students. So if you're interested in coming to med school or you've applied to med school, I'll be one of your main points of contact for that. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, good. Um, I, I'm glad you're here because we have a listener question uh, from Claire. She's uh, thinking about going back to school, but she's got a full-time job that she likes a lot. Here, let's, uh, let's hear from Claire.
3: Hi, David. Short Coats. My name is Claire and currently I am a radiation therapist who's interested in going back to medical school to be a radiation oncologist in a couple years. I absolutely love the podcast. Y'all get me through my long work commute. I don't know what I'm going to do when I finally listen to all the previous episodes. (laughs) My question is geared more towards non-traditional med students, but I'd love feedback from every and anyone. When going back to school to take prerequisites for med school were you able to keep your job or did you have to go back to school full time? If you did keep your job, how did you balance getting classes done, research experience, and volunteering to get a well-rounded application? I want to be as competitive as possible and have loads of clinical experience and patient interaction because of my job, but I'm lacking in the research and volunteer aspects due to the long work days. Thanks for the advice and keep up the great work.
0: So Megan, yeah. What's your fir- What are your first thoughts about uh, Claire's question?
4: No, I think it's a great question, and we hear questions like that all the time. So, the goal is to turn in a holistic application, but to do what you love, right? We don't want you to give up your passions and sacrifice your passions for a strong application. So, I think you can combine those things. Um, and I, but I try to think of it as every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to other things. So, you've got to be strategic. Right. No. Yeah. Oh, no. I was saying I'm so bad at that. It's really (laughs) hard. And we expect a lot in these applications. We're asking for a lot of different things to happen. So I would say you don't have to quit your job. I think one thing you could do is talk with somebody like myself. You're welcome to call in and and chat with me. We could set up an appointment to talk about your particular background, um, but try to figure out what your deficiencies are and make sure you're working on those, actively working on those. So you don't have to quit anything necessarily, but you have to make sure to fill in the gap. So we do want a whole rounded, well-rounded applicant, right? So somebody who has clinical experience, who is volunteering, who has lots of different pieces, some leadership, some teamwork, some research is great if you can get your hands on that. So it's, it's a hard balance. Um, But I think just getting some more information on what your deficiencies and gaps are and how to fill those in strategically um, and maybe even combine things. So, you know, clinical volunteering as opposed to volunteering um, at the Humane Society, even though we love when folks can volunteer at a place like the Humane Society, sometimes you have to kill two birds with one stone. And hopefully, you love. Right? (laughs) Yes. I'm an animal lover. What exactly were you doing at that humane society? Kill two birds horribly (laughs) with one stone. Uh, So hopefully that helps to answer it and know that you could get more personalized feedback because it really is kind of an individual question. What's important to you and what can you accomplish based on all the other things going on in your life?
0: So so, um, uh, her situation seems to be that she has this uh, job. There's long hours. Um, She doesn't want to give up the job, which I can appreciate, um, especially if it provides her with, uh, you know, food. Yeah. Um, And things like that. Um, Is it is it totally necessary to hit all of the things that you mentioned or is her work going to count as for, you know, sort of some of those things that she might not be able to find time to? get to?
4: Oh, you're, you're just not going to get a real straight answer from me <laughs> because it depends on the committee that year. That's one thing. Right. So I can give you general advice. Some folks will be in favor and say absolutely that she covered all her bases by doing that. So you've got to be strategic and try to please most of the people <laughs> um, if that helps. So you shouldn't have giant glaring gap. And sometimes that means that you might have to take a break from something or cut down hours. Um, Or like, let's say you have a lack of clinical experience. That's something I hear a lot from students will suggest something like scribing, because often they get paid or becoming a CNA because they'll get paid and that fills in a gap. So that's not the case with with this person, but um, you've got to think about creative ways to kind of fill in those gaps. And that might just means taking a step back from what you're doing. So does that help?
0: Yeah, I think so. We had a question in the distant past about uh, from someone in a similar situation, but she was a mother of, uh, I think, three kids. um, And I think that really sort of narrowed down her her choices. And so sometimes it's unavoidable. Um, you just can't, and she needed her job to, you know, basically feed and clothe her kids. You know, I think in that situation you do what you can do. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know.
4: And, And in that case, I think you're bringing something very different to the table Yeah. and we need that. Okay. So we need diversity in our class in lots of different ways we can learn from one another. And we certainly take that into account. But like one thing I would say, you absolutely need physician shadowing. We have to be confident that you know what it's like to be a doctor in a variety of different specialties. Um, In general settings, there are some things that you just have to do, right? And Mm -hmm. I think maybe that answers your question a little bit better. So you can't miss certain pieces, but there are other things like potentially research or other pieces that we could say, okay, this other stuff Totally makes a big difference, and will bring a different sort of flavor to the class, and we need that. I graduated undergraduate. It was over five years
5: before I matriculated <laughs> this university for medical school, mm-hmm. um, and in over that time, actually, um, medical schools were adding requirements, mm. so I did have to take some extra classes. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many she has. If she has to do the whole pre med battery, I feel. A little bad for her. But if it's like just adding a biochem class or a physics or something like that, it that's definitely
0: doable. Maybe as a radiation uh, uh, technologist, she might have some of that some already. It, yeah. Yeah.
5: I mean, and then, uh, you know, obviously studying for the MCAT is not the easiest job in the world. So it sounds like she has some work to do, but it's definitely doable. I mean, I I did it. Yeah. It, it's fine. A lot of people, you know, do post-bac programs and then stuff like that. I was, I don't know if lucky is the right word, but my full-time um, gig was research so I, it wasn't like I was trying to shove in extra time to do research to yeah. check that box I, I loved it and I was doing it full-time so I mean that is an option I don't know if she said she's in like doesn't want to stop doing her job but you know she could maybe the year before applying try to find a research position and maybe also shadow and volunteer at the same time like maybe just you know she could do something like that or summer some you could on you know for a summer try to do like a part-time you could do like clinical chart review sort of research Mm. you could try to find a lab to hook up with that they can give you a small project on the side you know there there are options definitely
0: and just uh you know take your time um you know she said a couple of years was her timeline um it might take longer than that i don't you know without knowing other stuff about your situation it could take longer than that and um you know, unless you're just really chomping at the bit to start throwing money at at schools to apply, mm-hmm. um, maybe you know, give it some time and, and strategy, as uh, Megan said, and and you'll be good.
1: It seems like uh, balance is a like an important theme in applying to med school, where you know you're you're painting a picture of yourself and if you're missing certain things, you can make it up with something else and be like, okay, well I didn't have time to volunteer, but I bring this whole other quality to the table that could really add to the character mm-hmm. of the class. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this person is bringing quite a lot to the table with her like directly relevant clinical experience. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe she isn't herself shadowing a physician, mm-hmm. but she clearly works with physicians quite a lot. Yeah. And she has like an already good handle mm-hmm. on like anatomy, just based on you know, looking at
0: films, um, I yeah think what's the what's the approximate shadowing number of hours people aim for? Is it?
4: you know, I, as many as possible, we don't have a number, but we want to feel confident that you've had the experiences to know what it's like to be a doctor. We certainly don't want you to come here. If you have to take out a bunch of loans, right, which often happens, we don't want you to come here get into the program, even though you're capable, decide you don't want to become a physician. And now you have a lot of loans that you either have to win the lotto or become a doctor to pay off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just we're trying to yes. help you out. So no, I get it. Um, I, I, so I, that it's not a magic number of hours, but we like to see some general shadowing. So something like ER experience, family medicine and different specialties. Um, and so you kind of get more of a complete picture of, of what it's like.
0: Sure. And, and, and maybe, you know, I don't, I don't know if she could, uh, uh, you know, sort of get with her uh, her physician uh, acquaintances, uh, maybe lunch hour for an hour after work or something like that. Um, do a little uh, do a little shadowing and just sort of, you know, start building that up. Um, Maybe as somebody who already works with patients you don't have to do quite as many hours as other people would have to do but
4: yeah, I mean, you know. we, we are looking at the complete picture. So there's no magic number, but you, you don't really want to have this big gap right? where we're going to say that that's a red flag. We're not confident. Um, and I think if you already have the connections, it would be fairly easy to add on a couple hours here and there consistently. And you could ask your colleagues, is there somebody you'd recommend that I could reach out to? And they'd probably be pretty understanding. Yeah they've had to go through this before. right? I mean, Mm -hmm. I think people want to help people. They want to share. And we want good folks in medicine. And that's kind of, this is, that's how this happens. So.
0: Well, uh, Claire, keep us posted. Love to hear from you in the future about your experiences. Um, And as Megan said, I want to say this again, um, contact admissions. People start that conversation now um, or soon. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, really start feeling, feeling out uh, what, people are going to be looking for and then you'll have an idea of what to what to strive for in the next couple of years or three years or four years or whatever it is
4: yeah
0: i have another listener question uh listener elizabeth is interested in hearing more about mentoring and or relationships with mentors and peers let's hear from elizabeth
6: hi Shark. Podcast. My name is Elizabeth, and I'm calling the first day. Thank you so much for um, sharing our, your podcast with us every week. I look forward to when it comes out, and I've spent most of my free time lately listening to the Short Code podcast. As I am an aspiring um, doctor, and it's really helped me keep focused and keep passionate about what I want to do. Oh, good. Um, so, despite calling to say thank you, I also wanted to ask. Um, I am a non-traditional student, and I know that means a lot of things for different people, but I'm currently in a research position, which is really helping me get clinical experience. What I'm curious about is when you're in med school, the relationships between um, your mentors and your peers and how how they may um, be difficult and what infrastructure is in place to make sure that if there is a problem that students are heard, um, if there is a problem with a professor or a doctor or one of your mentor, who is there? People that you can go to to make change happen. Um, thank you so much. If this is such a weird question or doesn't make sense feel free to delete it and i'll call back another time thank you Bye.
0: all right i'm don't just gonna insecure, I'm, I'm just listener? gonna i'm just gonna delete that question no I'm, I'm
1: of course not i mean she told us to so we'd be silly not
0: it's a very specific question um uh i don't know do you uh, so What are you guys, uh, what are you guys' first thoughts about this? I've been thinking about this question all week and I'm not really sure how to answer it um, because I don't have to deal with that Mm -hmm. sort of thing, you know, like I deal with other things.
5: I wish we were like sitting around a bonfire. Not being recorded. We can set, not representing the school. So because like there, there's can, tangible examples I can point to, but and how they've resolved, but or not resolved, but well, we I can, don't want to say.
0: Anything. <laughs> we can set the table on fire if that will help. We
5: we could. <laughs> that would be awesome.
0: <laughs> um, I'm gonna. Okay, so it's a tough question. Uh, admittedly, um, I'm gonna say that, um, it's going to depend on the school that you go to, what sorts of mechanisms they have in place to deal with that thing. Um, I mean, you haven't said anything, no, any, uh, any thoughts about this question? Well, I guess just like super anecdotal.
2: Uh, I felt like when I started medical school, I've started hanging out, like my peers were a lot more similar to me than they had been in the past, which brings on its like own challenges, but also is like super awesome. In other ways um
0: like you, you're all working for the same things and
2: yeah and I mean just bringing competitive people together can be kind of challenging and you don't really trust everyone right away because you're like no i you know I'm the person that leads the group and everything and now it's you got like six people that all lead the same group you know these <laughs> lead groups yeah. are now like oh and slowly you figure out like I can trust these people I can work with them and you learn more and more how to like work with people how to rely on people and it just gets better and better. But yeah, definitely kind of rough starting off. But
0: mm. I mean, I, I yeah, it, that's a good point. You, you, this dynamic is different maybe than you've experienced before. Um, because everybody, like you say, everybody's working towards the same, the same goal. Um, if you've, um, if you've managed to select a school where, uh, the, the students are, Interested in helping each other rather than competing with each other um, Then that's going to uh, Help a lot Um, But you know there are inevitable conflicts Mm -hmm. um, Because people are people right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I suspect that um, most schools will have some mechanism to assist you in extreme cases But that for normal, everyday, difficult interactions, you will be expected to be, not to put too fine a point on it, an adult and to handle those problems yourself. Um, Now, of course, there are situations that the institution would have to get involved with, um, such as harassment or, um, you know, a number of other things that... um, that would be a problem for the institution as well as the individual title IX stuff um all kinds of uh things like that but in general you know for normal everyday interactions i I don't think you're going to have much of a problem
1: can you play it again i think i misunderstood i thought she was talking about mentoring like with senior people as opposed to like student to student
0: well she did mention both okay um and you know so what would you have to say about mentoring
1: I think that's something you can probably get a feel for just by the culture of the institution Um, and usually I mean sometimes there are some bad apples of people who you know mistreat students or um, don't understand what mentoring is supposed to be but um, in general like the mission statement and the culture of the institution can give you a pretty good idea of like how they would respond Yeah, I think in those situations,
0: you know, for instance, um, you know, here um, at the end of every clerkship during your clinical years, you're asked for an evaluation of that clerkship. And part of that evaluation is um, some questions about um, whether you experienced discrimination or or um, or harassment or unfair practices and all that kind of stuff. And that information is taken very seriously by um, our deans in the rare occasions when, you know, it's reported. Mm -hmm. Um, There is an there is an official process in place to evaluate those um, reports and to do something about them when it's necessary to do them. And, you know, it's voluntary. You don't have to report um, problems. Certainly, if you don't, if you don't think they rise to the level of something needs to be done about it. Um, But there is a mechanism in place. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it can't hurt to ask, you know, for that information, you know, in advance. You don't have to do it, you know, uh, by attaching your name to the question. You can certainly call Megan in admissions and say, you know, um, my name is Armin. (laughs) um Elizabeth and uh, I'd like to know what mechanisms are in place blah 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 and Megan will be happy to tell you or research that um so that you have the information that way she doesn't know who you are and uh yeah but even if you wanted to be upfront about it I'm sure that wouldn't be a problem
4: I agree yeah absolutely we're here and we'll we'll do the research and we'll get some some more information for you and make sure you're getting the the right information in
5: the MSTP, we actually had like a, a class or seminar, I don't even know what you'd call it, on something similar, remember? With the ombudsperson? Yeah, I know I have like a... Oh, that's a good point. We got yeah. like a little yeah. card and it's somewhere on my desk that it has a few names and phone numbers of people. There, There's the ombudsperson, there's somebody else who's like a some sort of like counseling, not like mental health counseling, but like academic sort of counseling, coaching to basically like...
0: Mm -hmm. liaison. I'm glad you mentioned the ombuds office. I, I, you know, this is something I always forget about, but Mm -hmm. there are, yeah, there's a person on almost every campus in public institutions whose job it is to help you navigate difficult situations and even just to go and talk to about them. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, from what I've heard about that situation, um, you know, if you go to that person, it's not necessarily to start something, but it's just to talk it out and sort of explore options.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's completely anonymous. They don't even keep notes. Mm-hmm. So it's a good mm-hmm. place to start. And uh, But it's a good place to like inquire about your rights and to find out. So they like these resources exist. It's just not everyone's aware of them until you really need them. Until you need them, right. But it's not a bad idea to inquire right off the bat.
0: So, uh, yeah, Elizabeth, I hope we've helped answer the, your question. Um, I don't, I, uh, I hope you don't need any of these things. Uh, many people don't, some people do perfectly. All right to take advantage of them and, uh, um, let us know how your med school experience goes otherwise. And, uh, we're going to take a break for just a second so that I can tell you that support for the Shortcode podcast charitable mission comes from the sale of t-shirts and other merchandise at the slash store and by a sponsorship this week from Common Bond, an education finance company that wants to help med students save money on medical school. Common Bond is now offering a med school loan with rates lower than the federal Grad Plus, flexible repayment options and protections like forbearance so you can press pause on payments for up to 12 months. Uh, All that, and they don't even require a cosigner. Common Bond is also committed to impacting social good. Every time they fund a loan, they also fund the education of a child in the developing world through their social promise. To learn more about Common Bond's new medical school loan, visit commonbond.co/scp. And just a reminder, listeners, that our sponsors are helping us make money for the National Alliance on Mental Illness. So it's important that you go check them out so that they can make sure their sponsorship is worthwhile to them. Appreciate your help on that uh armin yes you're a third year so Go you on. are in a good position to answer this question if we'd offered an accelerated three-year md program and a traditional four-year program which would you have chosen i'd take like an eight-year program and
2: stretch this out as long <laughs> as i can
1: i was about to say the same thing uh, we know uh, we have one of those it's uh, called the mstp yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> honestly i don't know i've like it's a lot of work all the time, but it's been just fun, like going through everything. And you just become a different person, I feel like.
5: You also realize so Armin's like a like an ultra medical student because he like does did medical school twice because he tutors everything. Oh so yeah, that's right. Oh cool. He pred- I mean he's not clearly not one of those students who's like, I hated it I need to get through. He like he went back to M one year and did it all over again. <laughs> and he won like best tutor awards, so he's obviously good at it. <laughs> nice. Thanks, okay. A little plug for Armin. Yeah. We should be friends, Armin.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, I, I asked this question because a recent article on the AAMC's website, that's our, uh, the American Association of Medical Colleges, um, talks about the introduction of three-year programs to medical education. This is uh, becoming a trend. Um, And I'll post the link to this article at shortcoat.com so you can check it out for yourself. But at least a third of medical schools are now considering accelerated programs to address student debt and faster graduation to address physician shortages. Uh, The programs usually focus on a limited set of specialties in shortage areas like family medicine and other primary care fields. So you're not going to do a three-year program to be an ophthalmologist. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, you can't hear me nod, but that was a nod. <laughs> okay. I appreciate the, <laughs> the audio description there. Though. Um, Head up and down. Yeah. The article notes that this isn't the first time this has been tried. Apparently during World War II and in the 1970s, there were physician shortages that caused schools to go with fast tracking, but those efforts sort of petered out when shortages eased or when people got concerned about burnout. So... I, you know, the, the Texas Tech was prominently featured in this article, and I'll tell you some of the features of their program. You tell me what you think. After the first year, an intensive eight-week summer program focuses on the top 24 diagnoses in primary care. The, uh, in the second year, while they take the same classes as everyone else, they start their clinical clerkships. Uh, and at the end of year three, there's another eight-week intensive course to cover material that would ordinarily be covered in the fourth year. What do you think?
1: I immediately started sweating <laughs> when you were talking, and <laughs> it just got like, oh, worse and worse. I mean, to be taking clerkships while you're in class—like, how many classes a day are they talking? And and is it class and clerkship, like, and being on the wards on the same day, or is it like a switch-off kind of thing?
0: Yeah. It, there's a lot. You can't that,
1: rush these things. These things take time. Also, what was that thing about 8 weeks for what
5: stuff you learn in fourth year?
0: Yeah, so at the end of year 3 there's an 8 week intensive course to cover fourth year material.
5: What is fourth year material? Isn't like how.
0: sitting on a couch and
5: Yeah. Waiting
3: for your
0: next interview or something?
5: <laughs> or just like whatever you have me do. It's not like we we don't have like fourth year programming. Do I think we? it's, it's like, like selecting. It's like fourth
0: year yeah. clerkships or the stuff that you would have gotten in fourth year clerkships. I'm not really Sure. I think it's going to be particular to the school. I mean, yeah, um, but
1: Texas has its own med school application system, too, doesn't it? So they they have their own like, oh, I didn't didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So they have like a state level idiosyncrasies that are specific to Texas. So maybe they do have some type of programming in the fourth year that like is not the norm nationally.
4: And would you apply to the three year program or... Choose to apply to the three-year or the four-year program when you're actually applying or decide later
0: Yeah, I I think I it know. I from what I from what I remember of the article it, it varies you can you can join the fast-track program and then drop out to the Regular four-year program. Um, I Think is what they read in it at least for Texas Tech mm. Um, So I guess there's I don't know not a huge risk in choosing either one. It's not like you're stuck there but i imagine at some point it's like well i made it this far
4: yeah it sounds messy yeah
0: most how prepared
2: you know i mean the question i feel like is will they be prepared for the same will they be prepared for residencies and would they go into like the same residencies like the family med or whatever primary care that
0: a traditional four-year would go into it's mm-hmm. a good question so um in the case of texas tech again 70 percent of their grads are working in underserved areas um, and fast track grads seem to perform as well as regular grads, at least in terms of achieving, say, chief status. Um,
3: yeah, is what are one the, of the metrics for is one of the
0: areas. Well. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that I'm sure the metrics also include, you know, step three or you know, things like that. Sure. Um, and interesting feature the schools usually guarantee grads that they will rank them highly so they get matched there. Um, so basically they're saying, you know, if you go through this, if you go through this fast track thing, we will, you know, our hospital will, will hire you um, or will rank you highly to be hired when you're matched. LJ's got this look in her eyes. Like, it,
5: and it seems so like nepotistic or is that a word Nep- there's a lot of nepotism going on there. <laughs> it seems strange.
0: Well, I don't know. It's uh it's a perk for sure. I feel like
5: it's dangerous to promise something like that because if it doesn't turn out well, you just made it. A- awkward promise that you now have to fulfill (laughs) like
0: well notice they didn't say we will hire you Mm. we will rank you highly which is the Mm. the usual bs thing that uh residency programs say um to every resident who's like so you're gonna rank me highly and they're like sure we'll rank you highly and then Mm yeah that doesn't guarantee anything so, yeah, I, I think, um uh, oh, it was Elizabeth Shirazi who commented when I posted this to the co-host group. Um, their second year is preclinical classes and clerkships at the same time. Yeah. How do they have enough time in the day to do that, let alone study for preclinical exams and their shelf?
5: It seems like something has to give, right? Either they're they're expected to be part-time in clinic or... Yeah. Or your tests are so easy. Like how could you like possibly take a normal med school exam while being
0: not to to mention that in order to take advantage of this, I'm sure you have to know, like beyond a shadow of a doubt Mm -hmm. that you will do primary care, that you will do family medicine, for instance, or whatever limited set of programs. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to know that coming in. Mm -hmm. Um, It just
1: seems like they're. They might be getting inferior training on both fronts as opposed to doing one the other in sequence Okay, wait actually to be fair now. I'm thinking about it. So
5: me Alina and I are both in the MSTP We basically have three years of med school Because I mean I I know we're we're doing a PhD, but we do a year and a half with everybody Mm -hmm. then we take step one Mm -hmm. then we do 12 weeks Mm -hmm. of rotations Then we do a PhD. Then we come back and when we go back to clinic where everybody else had two and a half years, we have one and a half years. So maybe we have three years plus 12 weeks. So to be fair, we kind of of have three years of med school.
0: Yeah. yeah, um, (laughs) Relevant to that is schools. So, so in order to be accredited, schools have to provide at least 130 weeks of instruction. Um, and on average, schools have 157 week weeks of curriculum. So it seems like you might lose 20, 27 weeks total. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it's not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. I, for one, am against the whole damn thing. And I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. Um, I love you guys. I don't want you to not be podcasting for four years. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Not the direction I thought you were going in. Um, You know, when when people are like, oh, Dave, uh, it's been great podcasting you, but now I'm going to Des Moines for a year. I'm like, "Mm, that's art. Mm." (laughs) I don't love that. Um, And when they call
4: in. yeah. And
0: when they switch to the 18 month curriculum, I was like, "Mm, (laughs) damn it. But I know it's good for y'all. I know that most people like it. Mm.
2: To hell with you. I think one thing that's that I feel like they would be we love you, team Dave.
0: I love you and to hell with you. Sorry, I mean,
2: oh no, I was just gonna jump back and say, I think one thing that'd be like really that they would miss out on. Um, or Let me backtrack. I think something that's really valuable is when you're not going into a field, doing a rotation in that field. So, for example, if you're a primary care and you um, do an ophthal rotation and you know what's going to happen on the other end when you send out your referral, you don't need to know the intimate details here or there. But just having like a bit of an awareness, you know, even just like a couple of weeks spent on it, knowing what's going to happen rather than it's a magic black box that.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Down. Okay. yeah.
1: I don't know. My first thought when you were reading this is like, do I want a doctor who finished med school that quickly?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it sounds a little car salesman to me, like, yeah, I cut off a year of med school. I did it super quick. It just gave me a bad feeling. Yeah. Yeah.
5: I mean, I know it's not like we're talking about neurosurgery or whatever, but I remember someone saying that they wanted to go to an accelerated neurosurgery program, and I was kind of thinking, I would not want an (laughs) accelerated, like, I would want the neurosurgeon who's done the most neurosurgeries. like, why would Take your time. I would never advertise that to my patients. Enjoy it. I've done way less neurosurgeries than the average neurosurgeon, so (laughs) pick me. (laughs) You know?
0: Put that on the billboard for your practice. Yeah. Uh, Now it's less practice. I don't know.
1: I feel like the states, it's the only place where this is a thing. Like I remember when I, when I joined the MSTP, so I didn't, I didn't come into the MSTP in the traditional way. I started off as a med student and then I decided to go to grad school. I remember when like the news was like disseminated across the globe to my uh, family, like half of the, my relatives thought I was quitting med school. I was dropping out because like, it's not a thing in other countries to get a PhD and an MD. It's really an American phenomenon of like, I can have it all and I will do it all and I will have, you know, it's just. Also
0: many other schools. I mean, for instance, isn't it the case that in, uh, in, uh, Europe Mm. that you don't go to medical school per se, right? It's not the same system.
5: I think you just don't go to college. Yeah, I think Italy has like a well it had, I don't know if it still does, a 6-year program of kind of like your bachelor or baccalaureate plus med school. Like it's one thing. Yeah. So you're That's 18, which is crazy to me because you some people like the non-traditional students might be in their 30s decide to go to med school. You have to be like 17 Yeah. Be like, (laughs) I know exactly what I'm going to do with my life. Yeah,
0: I mean, you're basically going to college to be a doctor. (laughs) Yeah. In in a a Mm -hmm. sense, at least that's how the timing works Mm -hmm. out. I don't. So, you know, okay.
1: Well, the other thing, too, uh, I don't know about Italy, but I know in Germany, and this is the case in a lot of European countries, kids are routed into different professions pretty early on. Um, I think in Germany it's in fourth grade or when they're 11 at that point is when the system decides like, well, you're going to be an artist and you're going to go into business and you're going to go into science. And so at that point you're routed into a high school that will lead to the degree that you would need to gain admission to that type of program. Hmm. So, so they've already kind of like the system and your family and and your circumstances, socioeconomic circumstances have already determined that you're probably going to go, into that. And so you're you're groomed from an early age is what I'm saying.
0: Makes me wonder what would have happened to me in that situation.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I would have been routed to I don't know
1: podcast school.
0: Podcast no. <laughs> gas station attendance. I'm not really sure what I would have been. One no of my offense friends to gas from station.
5: Franceline said something, I don't know if it's similar to what you're saying, but she said that and this was a while ago. But she said when she was younger she had to take a test and then based on what you get on that test it determines what you do. And so she thought she was going to be a doctor, but then she didn't score as high as her, like the rest of her classmates. So she had to go to grad school. And if she had done a couple points higher, she could have gone into medical school, but hmm. it was the same thing. Like she was like young teenager.
1: Yeah. So my parents um, didn't grow up in North America and, and they grew up in a country that was colonized by France and it's the same system. So yeah. the government kind of sets the, the ranges of scores that you need to get on this like very stressful national exam. And uh, my mom wanted to be an architect, but she scored too high. So she was routed into electrical engineering. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. So she was like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Damn. Um, But my dad wanted to be a physician. I think like, I don't know if he necessarily wanted to be a doctor, but he always, he's has a lot of affinity for the stuff that I'm learning. And we talk Uh about it a lot, but he was routed into civil engineering Hmm. Um, so they, I mean, they come from a country that has a huge emphasis on engineering.
0: It's really hard for, I guess, Americans maybe to understand that.
1: There's uh, so, like th- how this We're very free here. Well,
0: we're I mean, very we, free. we, we see ourselves as, you know, we get to determine our own.
1: Yeah. Face. I mean, that's why they came here because. They True or not.
0: In. That's, yeah. you know.
1: They wanted their kids to grow up in a country where you had control, more control over your destiny. Mm. But at the same time, when you look at Europe, um, and some of these other countries that were colonized by Europe. So they take up the culture. It's they're very well-organized societies like there's it's very disruptive to an economy when someone decides at the age of third I mean, I'm not arguing against it But just as a thought experiment when someone decides late in life that they want to change professions You've now taken someone of that profession out of the economy mm. and they're now in flux for a couple of years and they're not really contributing, you know in the traditional sense to the economy mm. and so it's that's why you know, there's a lot of waste in the States, I think, because of this, but, but it's, it's waste, you know, in the interest of a greater goal, which is that people can choose what they want to do mm-hmm. in their lives and, and pursue their passions. So it's a little harder, I think, in European countries to like make these changes later in life. Hmm. Hmm.
0: Well, I uh, look forward to getting back to the
1: yeah uh, we got way uh, we, we
0: did i love it though um getting it's back all... to the original story i look forward to hearing about how these things all turn out whether they will peter out after we're like oh shit everybody's you know in therapy uh because <laughs> their brains exploded um
1: yeah are they upping the uh, access to counseling you know concomitantly as they're yeah right you know speeding up their curriculum
0: it's crazy in my never-ending quest to be seen as a real educator here at the Carver College of Medicine, I feel it's important once in a while to spring upon you that mainstay of real education, real educators everywhere, the pop quiz. <laughs> Today's pop quiz subject is weird medical experiments.
1: Yeah, all right. Are you ready? So ready.
0: Uh, Okay, well here we go in the the first question In 1942, Lawrence Leshan of William & Mary College Published results of an experiment on 40 nail biters At a boys summer camp in upstate New York to get them to stop Which of the following describes his methods? For 54 nights, after the boys fell asleep He played a recording that said My fingernails taste terribly bitter 300 times a night Okay That's one. For 54 nights, he awakened the boys three times to tell them that they were terrible children for making their parents worry about them because they bit their nails. Or for 54 nights, he sat in the middle of the room on a chair on a turntable, which slowly rotated, allowing him to look sternly into each boy's eyes while displaying (laughs) a sign that said, good boys don't bite their nails.
1: I'm going to go with three. This sounds like a classic Uh... conditioning experiment. So if you Uh associate the behavior with like an undesirable outcome, that'll... Have the greatest. So he he ability. looked at them
0: sternly while rotating.
1: No one wants to be looked at sternly.
0: Not while rotating. No, mm-hmm. especially
1: not while.
5: <laughs> okay, those are all creepy, but all very plausible. But I was gonna go with one, uh-huh. the first one, because I feel like maybe I, I have the timing wrong, but I know for a while people in like psychology thought that you could like subliminally reach people while they uh-huh. sleep like
2: hypnotherapy type exactly stuff, yeah. okay.
5: i don't know i could be off by a few decades in either direction
4: but i know that was a thing
2: what do you think that Megan? would have
4: been my first yeah thought. i was thinking number one okay for that reason
0: hmm. sounds like uh, you're on that boat too
2: i think so i mean 1949 he said so or 42 uh, oh. 42. i don't even know if like real cars were around then so i don't know if, like <laughs> the actual setting <laughs> Um,
1: uh, cars were invented
5: in the twenties, weren't they? 42. Yeah, nineteen
2: hundred. The Beatles were
5: born that that year. So that's a time point reference for still,
2: still, I have no perspective on this time era.
0: Well, how did we get I, on I
5: cars? Go with one. What? What? I'd go with
2: one. Oh, I don't wish. know. How, hit, how did yeah. we get to cars?
5: Were turntables he, invented? By the <laughs> I think his point was that he doesn't know what the setting oh, looked okay. like. Like, what is the what, is, what does forty two look like?
2: <laughs> it's like
0: a, some angles and some straight lines. Okay. <laughs> Uh, No, the answer was uh, that they played a recording that said, my fingernails taste terribly bitter. Uh, The experiment started on July 5th and by August 28th, he found that 40% of children had stopped biting their nails compared to none from the control groups who did not hear the recording
5: but sleep deprivation due to hearing the (laughs) recording, probably not a factor. What if you're too tired to bite your nails? Right.
0: Oh, so weird. All right. uh, Here's the next question. Entomologist Michael Smith wanted to know, if a honeybee stings you, where on the body will it hurt the most? Ooh. Hmm. So what? So he did what any reasonable person would do. He experimented (laughs) on himself. What were the top three worst places to get stung according to his results? (laughs) The armpit, nipple, <laughs> and foot arch; the scrotum behind the ear and the lower back, or the penis shaft, upper lip, or and nostril.
1: That one, three, mm-hmm. yeah, that one.
0: Oh, there really. What explain
2: your reasoning, Army? <laughs> uh, just very sensitive areas, lower back. You have like a very poor sense of discrimination, that kind of stuff. Mm.
1: I was going to say, et, like, anything involving the genitals is an obvious... Well, we had the know. scrotum
2: in behind the ear. I mean, I, know, I feel yeah. like the
0: skin behind the ear... I was be...
5: waiting for lip, and then you said it. Because, yeah. like, uh, l- areas of highest density
4: of, like, nerve endings.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, Megan, did you want to disagree? Or oh, my you're...
4: God. I couldn't even listen to all of those options.
0: Because they were—you were you were, were just imagining. It was imagining. so
4: painful to hear them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'll go with the group on this.
0: Okay. Yeah, you're right. Uh, it, you are correct. To do the experiment, he would select a guard bee, um, which is probably just like him. he sounds. Uh <laughs> Place it in the desired location. Hold it there for five seconds after the first pain was felt. Each okay. trial included five stings, the first and last, always on the inner forearm, which he judged as being an averagely painful place to get stung. And each experimental location on his body enjoyed three trials.
1: I don't even have a shaft, and mine is hurting. <laughs> <laughs> this show pretty much guarantees I can was, never run for office. Uh, a loop, a
0: loop. <laughs> Aline has phantom shaft syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> Megan's like Megan right now is going, We let pre pre meds listen to this Why?
1: <laughs>
0: okay. Listen, um, what
1: they should be taking away from this recording is that we have we have some fun in med school. Yes. So mm-hmm. yes. There you go. That's true. Yeah, and also uh, that Aline is shaftless. So. That's right. That's right. If there was any doubt as to my native gender, yeah, <laughs> oh confirmed that.
0: Okay, I'm just imagining. this like, okay, today it's penis shaft day.
3: <laughs>
0: that's what it says here in my notes.
3: <laughs>
0: been looking, I haven't been looking forward to this, but it's for science. All right. Uh, in 2015, JAMA published a study funded by the National Sciences and Engineering Research Council of Canada that refuted which bit of unlikely health advice. Uh, first, sneezing into a friend's face can reduce the population level spread of pathogens. Second, using an electric fan during a heat wave should be avoided because it could accelerate body heating. Or third, pulling off a scab and eating it can prevent wound infections. What? What do we think? What is what is the the health advice that is counterintuitive and had to be studied?
2: What's a heat fan like a like a fan?
0: Just an electric fan that blows that higher. blows air on you. And Any you like do ambient during, air blows ambient no, no, air. A during fan. a hot temperature. Yeah. Oh, a normal fan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just a normal, not a heater. Hmm.
5: Did you make up the other ones? I'm I'm just wondering because like they're all so.
0: I did, ma- I did make up the wrong answers Wow,
5: yeah. they very th- They're clever. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it kind of reminds me
2: of like, I know a lot of people think like, or not a lot of people, but a rare few people think like opening up, you know, your dorm room fridge will cool down your room or something. But then, you know, the inefficiencies, you end up actually heating yeah. up kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's like a tight room. But I'd see <laughs> people thinking one for some reason that that might be true. Okay.
1: I'm going to go with That's three.
0: The, so you think sneezing into a friend's face uh, supposedly, reduce the population level spread of pathogen. I could see some people believing. Okay. that. and and Aline, you think pulling a scab and eating it could as prevent repugnant
1: it? as that may be, mm-hmm. that is the earliest recorded method of uh, vaccinating people is oh. to pull off scabs. I think they it dates back to like the region that is now known as India. Like thousands of years, they would take off scabs and they would rub it on the open
0: wounds this of other people. Rings a bell with me. Okay, all right, yeah, uh, LJ eating
5: it (coughs) sorry (laughs) gross (laughs) what was number two again
0: gross but clever
5: oh two is the fan yeah i mean so i missed it actually the question is which one of these statements needed
0: to be studied to be refuted right yeah okay which uh yeah
5: and the statement of two you just say the fan one again
0: they uh, used an electric the, the use of an electric fan during a heat wave should be avoided because it can accelerate body heating
5: i feel like that could be true i don't know
0: mm. okay well why don't we go with that one
5: i'll just yeah we'll, I just like we i a, on a
2: weird question because you're like trying to put in a couple negatives of like yeah, yeah, yeah. what do i think people would would think
0: would think but that then, is wrong but then, that i think <laughs> is right this is like a poorly written step two question basically i don't know i think it's pretty okay on par megan
4: <laughs> i Go with with the third, the scab one. Although I'd like to think that you made that up.
0: But. Okay, what yeah, did I, d- I did make that one up. Uh, using an electric fan during a heat wave uh, right. is the advice that was given, which should be avoided because it could accelerate body heating. Um, it turns out that the experimenters subjected eight healthy males, averaging twenty three years of age to temperatures of either 97 degrees Fahrenheit or more than 108 Fahrenheit. Uh, Each temperature was tested with and without an 18-inch fan placed three feet away from the subject. Uh, Humidity was increased um, 15 steps from 25% to 95% uh, at 97 degrees and 20% to 70% humidity at 108 degrees Fahrenheit. And they found that, dun-dun-dun, fans prevent heat-related elevations of heart rate and core temperature. So basically what they found is fans cool you. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Amazed.
1: How much money was spent on that?
0: I don't. Well, (laughs) well, we'd have to ask Canada because they were the ones who wanted to know. All right. Last question. Before medical knowledge, there was medical not knowledge. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) One example was 19th century American trainee doctor Stubbins Firth with two F's, by the way. I don't know what the extra F was for. Whose experiments led him to understand that yellow fever was not a result of contagion, but of the heat and stresses of summer months when yellow fever was most prevalent. What unusual methods did he use in his investigations? Uh, He made incisions in his arms and smeared vomit from infected patients into the cuts. (laughs) He, He poured vomit into his eyeballs. He fried vomit and inhaled the fumes. Or he drank vomit undiluted. What in the world? Hey, if you're a doctor in the 19th century, I just had and an, you weren't drinking vomit, you were considered weird.
1: I just had an out-of-body experience out of disgust. I other, chills. <laughs> other,
0: other. This is so. I mean, he was a trainee doctor, so he was kind of a resident. Imagine at the time. I, I have this, this like thought that maybe his uh, chief was like, you know. uh... Stubbins Firth, have you been... Doing weird things with other people's bodily fluids lately? Because if you haven't, you'd better get started.
1: Mm. It sounds like a prank gone wrong. Like someone's like, "Yeah, yeah you should try that. Let us know how it goes." And he's like, "All right."
4: Uh-huh. <laughs> Was he in a three-year medical program? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, no! No! <laughs> what a sick burn!
0: You only did three years of medical education. Start, start pouring vomit into your eyeballs. It's part of
1: the summer program. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, Megan what? is on fire. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. All right. He wanted. Are
0: you? To have t- you been frying vomit in the kitchen again, Stubbins?
1: <laughs> oh, he's at it again. Jeez. Oh, all of those sound repugnant. I can't even get over the mental image no. to choose an answer.
0: Yeah. Well, you got to. Did he uh, put it in his incisions? Did he pour it into his eyes? Did he inhale the fumes, or did he drink it? What was he trying to answer? Just quick. Y- yellow fever. Is it a result of a contagion or not? Oh, I think you. I think Hang you on. rubbed it in. God damn it! Mm. Why do people call me in the middle of the day <sighs> when I'm working?
1: <laughs> the moment is past, but I had a a funny story about uh, when we thought maybe uh, I had or d- didn't have a shaft. <laughs> <laughs> But the moment is past. I'm really sad about it. It would have been a funny story. And I just got the. You know, the concert. moment's
0: always right for a story about your non existent shaft, Aline.
1: <laughs> I'm laughing because. Uh, I'm leaving of my... all of
0: this in, by the way.
1: With <laughs> <laughs> the telephone. Yeah,
0: break. with the telephone, the whole thing. So we, we have, but we haven't an answered the question.
1: Back to the question.
0: A very important question.
1: I'm going to go with the inhale.
0: Okay, he inhaled the fumes. Anyone else? I say he rubbed them in his. uh, He rubbed them into his uh, in cuts. Yeah. Okay. Ugh.
5: It means I have to go with like eating or something. You do, which is the worst one, (laughs) or or eyes.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
5: That's also disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) I would just like to put it out there. If I had to do one, I feel like the most unhealthy one is to rub it into cuts. But I would much
1: rather do that than like
0: pour it into your taste eyes it or, or taste smell it oh, that's interesting.
1: well it's so acidic so wherever it goes it's gonna burn
0: yeah right yeah yeah so there's there's no there's no good one of these mm.
1: there's no uh we're like least of all evils here yeah they're yeah. all pretty evil yeah mm-hmm. they're all bad
0: true megan which would you yeah. rather do
4: oh um i'd, I'd say inhale I'd inhale yeah Okay. Yeah, I, my dog throws up all the time. Yeah. But, yeah. but cooking it? Could you imagine what no, that would smell wouldn't, like? No, I wouldn't cook it. I said fry and... No. In, in.
5: Okay, but maybe like I'm thinking omelet. I, because that's so weird. How would you what make I that wanna up? Know,
0: what I want to know <laughs> is, is if he fried it, why was that even necessary? I mean, surely uh, yeah. there are easier ways to atomize puke. Anyway. That well,
5: means well. that's the answer, because
1: then why would you be questioning your own th- made-up thought? Well... Oh, wait, frying it would increase the temperature to the point of killing any what what era was
0: this yeah was this before pasteurization was i think i think pasteurization is older than Mm -hmm. than the the 19th plus like
1: thinking i can't believe we're like going down yeah we we should really yeah we
0: we should really ponder this carefully
1: (laughs) well my question is like which of those methods would be the truest like a real life Experiment. method of infection uh, yeah and like I could imagine someone project vomiting onto someone's face and then being like yeah let's try that okay let's try it that way okay I'm gonna go with the eye thing
0: okay I,
2: no. I thought you would have gone with like incision on the shaft and rubbing it. <laughs>
1: Oh, <laughs> well I'm all about I'm all about bringing the shaft back now <laughs> to everything we
0: discuss oh yes well the answer is all of the above
1: oh, hmm. what? what an animal Oh, wow. Ew.
0: Firth never wow. contracted yellow fever, and he saw it as proof that it wasn't contagious, but it was later shown that his vomit samples were from patients with late-stage yellow fever, mm. and they were no longer <sighs> contagious. So all of mm. that for, no- for nothing.
1: Let that be a lesson about rigor, <laughs> scientific
0: rigor. <laughs> right. Oh,
1: my gosh. You wow. can conduct as many experiments as you like, wow. but it doesn't mean you're going to find the right answer. Yeah. You need to balance logistics with accuracy.
0: Yeah, yeah. It may be easy to pour vomit into your eyeballs, but it shouldn't you shouldn't do it. <laughs>
1: Just because you can doesn't mean yeah. you
0: should. Mm. It's an important science lesson. Well, that is our show. Uh Aline, LJ, Armin, Megan, thank you for joining me on the show today.
1: Thanks for having Thanks. me. Thanks. Thanks. Was fun.
0: And what kind of terrible human being would I be if I didn't thank you listeners for making us part of your week for all your questions and for your supportive t-shirt orders? If you're new here and you like what you heard today, Subscribe to our show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We love answering listener questions, so send us your questions or whatever you like to gmail.com or reach out on social media, or you can leave a message at 347-Short-CT. We'll talk about it on the show. Oh, and one more thing. (sighs) Right now, while your podcast app is open, give us some more stars and a review uh, that makes us feel good to hear that you're happy with our work. CD31419, if that is your real name. You did that this very week, saying that our show, for real, changed my life. That was his quote, and that we've inspired him to pursue his medical education. I have no idea what we could have said. (laughs) That made him think that was a good idea. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine, student government, and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities program. Our executive producer is Jason Lewis. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox, and our closing music is by Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week.